You're listening to Mitnick's Monthly Brushstrokes, a podcast on the art of outsmarting, the fun part that sets you apart. I'm Keith Mitnick, author of Don't Eat the Bruises, How to Foil Their Plans to Spoil Your Case. For more information, please visit keithmitnick.com. This is Keith Metnick again, and I want to talk to you today about one of the most important parts of our job, the dignity of damages. Boy, I wish that we could just have a fight over who's right and wrong and have an amount already decided. And if we won, that's what we would get. So I wouldn't have to cheapen my fight over black and white and right and wrong over asking for money. And there are a lot of people feel that way. Most of them don't want to say it out loud, but a lot of people feel that way. I have to confess, when I was a younger lawyer, I had a little of that feeling. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I did. Because asking for money on behalf of your client's a hard thing. And you want those people sitting in that jury to like you. And you're afraid if after fighting valiantly about why this defendant's wrong and why it's unfair for them to be trying to blame your client, you're afraid that they're going to think less of you when you start talking about the money. And I want to give you a little perspective that I believe will help you because I can promise you if there is one droplet of doubt anywhere on your body, tongue, mind, down to your toes, that jury will feel it. They'll sense it. And if they sense any hesitation on your part of talking about the money, tell you what they're going to read it as, you don't even believe. And it's over before you even get started. You do not, cannot, don't walk in front of a jury with those feelings. So what do you do? You have to start before you ever get in front of the jury so you can convince yourself that it really is righteous to pursue money damages for your client. And when you go, by golly, I'm going to talk about them because it's not only the right thing to do, it's the reason we're here and I'm proud of it. They'll feel it, they'll sense it, and your chances of convincing them go through the ceiling. Here is the little self message that easily is converted to your message to the jury. And it's this. Your client didn't come to you to have a philosophical debate about right and wrong. Your client came to you for a remedy. And in America, we don't believe in eye for an eye justice. We don't take the defendant and tear their back up, tear their knee up, kill their loved one, blind them. We don't do that. But just like we don't believe in eye for an eye justice in America because it's barbaric, We don't believe in turning a blind eye to justice either, because that's no justice at all. In America, we believe in consequences. We believe in accountability when someone doesn't do their job right and thrusts unnaturally harm into someone else's life. And that thing that we call remedy is money damages for the value of what was taken. Now, that's an internal message. And if you think about that, if you say to yourself, my client's not here for a philosophical debate about who was right or wrong. They're here for a remedy, and it is my job to deliver that remedy via the jury. Then all shame leaves, and you feel dignified. And that's what I mean by the dignity of damages. Now, I want to take that internal pep talk that should become just a belief system of yours, and I want to convert it into the jury because there's some more pieces to this. And before I do that, I want to comment on something I said in the midst of that. I said, thrust into your life unnaturally. That is a very important phrase to use with a jury because anyone tries many cases knows this. 
jurors will say, well, my back hurts and nobody gave me money. My mom died and nobody gave me a bunch of money. And you have to, number one, you have to deal with those people who are bitter in jury selection and make sure you don't have any of them. They're eating up with those feelings sitting on your jury, which is a whole nother topic that we'll talk about. But even the people that pass through the jury selection process, you still are in harm's way with those type of reactions. More subtly, they don't go all the way away. When you use a phrase like thrust into their life unnaturally, you have separated yourself from the normal wear and tear, from someone dying of a disease like cancer, from somebody getting hurt in a football game they were playing in because they voluntarily went out and knew they could get hurt in it. You've said thrust into their life unnaturally. It's almost biblical, and it's an important phrase. You don't want to overuse it, but you want to make sure you do use it just for the effect it'll have. And I promise you, it can have a profound effect on anyone who's letting those feelings eke into their hearts and their minds on that jury. That was one of the points. Another point that is critical with a jury is to have them understand it's not about how much they're going to get. It's not about how much Mr. Jones is going to get. It's about how much was taken, what's a fair value of what was lost. Why is that so important? Because there's another mindset. Again, you got to cull the bad ones out in jury selection, but you still are at risk. The people thinking it's a money grab. They're asking for 500000 for 100000 for a million, for $10 million. Whatever the number is, it's going to be a significant number in some of those jurors' eyes. And they're going to think, well, I mean, why should he get rich off of this? Profit off an injury. That phrase, it's not about how much you're going to get. It's about how much was taken, what's the fair value of what was lost, is an instantaneous readjusting. And in jury selection, you can spend a little more time explaining what it means so when you say it later in closing argument or whenever you say it, opening, it has more meat on the bone. But the basic concept is a hole got dug, something valuable was taken called health, and you're trying as best you can in an incomplete way to fill that, but you're never going to be back to whole. And your client would far rather go back in time and have their health back. That's not an option. And we don't turn a blind eye to justice. So what's left? This remedy in which we measure the value of what was taken or lost in hopes of bringing it back as best we can under the system of justice in America we believe deeply in. So that's another piece. It's not about how much you're going to get. It's about how much was taken. What's the value of what was lost? In there was another phrase that is really significant taken. I used to use the word compensation, and there are very good ways to do it. I did it for years. I don't necessarily think they're bad. I've just changed to something I'm more comfortable with I want to recommend for your consideration. My concern with compensation is it sounds too much like a payday. I prefer taken. Why? Nobody likes to have their stuff taken. When you're a little kid and your little brother grabs your toy, you chase them and smack them. You don't want your toy taken. When you're a teenager and you call shotgun and your buddy races and takes the seat, you drag him out. Why? You don't have to have your stuff taken. When we're adults, for goodness sake, people are on fire over taxes. Why? They don't want their money taken. Try to take someone's gun away, for goodness sake. Nobody likes to have their stuff taken. So it's a universal concept. When you use the word taken, it's a powerful word to build into that paradigm when we're talking about damages that I just feel more strong when I say, rather than compensate. Others are comfortable to compensate, have at it. I'm passing along my personal experience and my personal preference on the matter. Another phrase in there that is really important to me 
and I am confident it just is important, and that is, this is a verdict for all time. We don't come back a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So the jury understands it may sound like a lot now, but we're talking about for the rest of this person's life. So when you take those pieces and put them together, and we talk about the collective wisdom of the jury, using their collective wisdom to determine what's fair and reasonable for what was taken in the way of health, when this injury was thrust unnaturally into this person's life, and you put them all together, it is a presentation of the concept of damage. I haven't talked at all about a damage model of how much. This is all just preparing the jury for that ultimate goal when you start putting, for example, in a per diem setting, an amount, which we'll talk about later. But I want to pull all those concepts together and just briefly summarize it more in the way of how it would look to a jury. Now, folks, it's time for me to talk to you about the damages in this case. And before we get started, I want to remind you, like I told you in jury selection, it's not about how much Mr. Jones is going to get. It's about how much was taken and what's a fair value for what was lost in the way of his health. There's nothing more precious and valuable to people than their health. And a big chunk of his health was taken because it was this injury was thrust into his life unnaturally. And we don't in America believe in eye for an eye justice. We don't go and take the health away from the defendant that caused this. We don't tear their back up and do surgery on their back. We just don't believe in that. It's barbaric. But likewise, we don't believe in turning a blind eye to justice because that's no justice at all. We believe in consequences. We believe in accountability. And that's why in America we've come up with the ground in the middle that we call justice. And it's a remedy. It's not blind justice, no justice at all, turning a blind eye, tough luck, nor is it eye for an eye. It's called a remedy. And I want to talk to you about that remedy. And when we talk about that remedy, it is critical that you always keep in mind that it's not about how much he's going to get. It's about how much was taken and what's a fair value for that loss. Sitting as a group of appraisers, putting your collective wisdom together and deciding what is fair and reasonable under the facts of this case. And I'm going to talk to you about an amount and I'm going to give you some reasonable measuring sticks to get there. And then you roll into your damage argument. And if your client's younger and your client's hurt pretty bad, you say, that's a lot of money. I know it is, but that's a lot of hurt covering a lot of time. My client's life expectancy is X. If you simply took the waking hours over that time, because you live one day at a time, one hour at a time, we don't jump forward month at a time, six months at a time. Sometimes we wish we could, but that's not how we live life. We live at one moment at a time. And if you take the hours left in that life because they caused the harm at this young age and simply applied $10 an hour, that comes out to a million five dollars. And that may be a lot of money, but anything less is not taking seriously the oath we took when every one of you said that you understood and believed in this concept that it's not how much you're going to get, it's a reasonable value of what was taken, and a lot was taken, there's no dispute in that evidence. And we are at peace that we handpicked you folks. Not everybody made the cut, but every one of you did. And we are confident that you'll weigh this evidence level-headed and reasonably and bring back a verdict that completely recognizes the loss. When you go through that and those pieces get put together, and I shortchanged the damage argument some because I frankly didn't mean to go into this phase, but it just felt natural to go ahead and put a little blurb of that on that tail end. I will promise you, you plant yourself in front of the jury. This is an intimate conversation. You shouldn't have notes for this. 
You don't want to be raising Cain like you may have earlier on the liability issues. It's a somber, intimate moment. But when you plant yourself in front of the jury and you look them in the eye because you believe in it, because you've given yourself that pep talk enough times, it's no longer necessary. You just believe in it. And you deliver that and cover those bases that could potentially create hurdles. And you look each one of them with that knowing look of sincerity. I promise you, other than if you've let a stinker slip through jury selection, the look your back isn't going to be one of shame. It's going to be one of, I understand what he's saying. Even if I don't agree completely with him, he's coming from a high ground place. And that's a place you want to be. So when you take all that and put it together, you know what it really means? There is legitimately a dignity to presenting damages on behalf of somebody who's had their life turned upside down and we need not apologize for it. We should do it proudly because at the end of the day, when that client walked in your door and picked you to stand up for them, when they couldn't stand up for themselves, what they were asking you to accomplish for them was the remedy for what was taken from them. And that's a proud moment for all of us. And it should be a proud moment in front of that jury. And when they sense the pride you feel, they will follow suit. And most times, they're going to bring back a verdict that you can be proud that you accomplished on behalf of that client that came to you asking for help. For more information, please visit keithbitnick.com.